Welcome to the Queer Arabs podcast. This is Alia. This is Nadia. And Ellie. We have a guest, um, Finley Sarafa Mikhail. I'm really grateful that they have come on to talk to us about um, just kind of navigating grief right now with what's happening in Gaza and just overall therapy kind of tidbits that I think would be helpful for all of our listeners. Um, so yeah, would you like to introduce yourself? Um, tell the listeners about your background as a start? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am a clinical social worker based in Chicago, um, so-called Chicago, and I am um, mixed. So I am Iraqi Chaldean and white, and I, as you know, growing up in the immediately post 9-11 era as, you know, an Iraqi kid was pretty rough, um, as I think Adams we can all understand. And yep. I feel in this moment, a lot of the same uh, grief and trauma and anger um, in my body that like dug up specifically from that era, but then also new versions of those feelings um, for Gaza, for, uh, you know, just kind of the ongoing 105 years of genocide that's been happening in Palestine. And I am so absolutely baffled by how viral my post went relative to my normal post. I was expecting very little engagement and somehow um, this group that I created um, has gone uh, semi-viral, which is mm -hmm. very bizarre to me. But normally I do one-on-one -on -one telehealth, uh, mostly around trauma, re-indigenizing and queer and trans identity formation that typically will look like, you know, I, I work specifically with uh, queer folks, typically from other marginalized communities, and I do religious trauma work, um, helping people come out, helping people deal with family repercussions, people who are reconnecting to some element of their indigenous identity that has been lost um, either through diaspora or uh, other genocidal processes like residential schools. As a globally indigenous person, I feel very, very lucky to be able to hold that space for people. And so obviously seeing the indigenous Palestinians in Gaza is suffering so, so horribly, not just now, but always is, you know, it's really, I think, uh, terrible as as a globally indigenous person, as an Arab, and as a queer person, as a result of you know the the pinkwashing that Israel does to try to justify their their war crimes, um, and so I'm I'm very honored to be in a position not only personally but professionally at a practice that one of my best friends runs. So I don't have to get anything approved. I'm just able to do what I want, such as introduce this group spur of the moment as soon as I think about it. And that is an, uh, an enormous privilege. I know that a lot of my peers um, in the kind of SWANA mental health field are not able to do that. Um, so I'm very, very fortunate to have that ability. 
I, I think in any profession, there's been a lot of censorship and self-censorship. Um, but if you're comfortable talking about mm -hmm. it, uh, what does that look like in the mental health field specifically? Absolutely. Yeah. Based on my previous experiences at a different practice and um, what I've been hearing um, from my SWANA colleagues in different practices, different stages of their careers, both beginning and more established, the Zionism in the field is very, very rampant, which is not unfortunately totally unexpected given that we live in the US. Zionism is a big problem. That will look like practices telling the clinicians that work there that they have support resources for Jewish employees, for people who feel grief about Israel and anything that Hamas has done to Israel, never considering that Arabs, that Palestinians would also be grieving. It would look like financial resources being allocated to Israel. People have been part of Facebook groups and email listservs and professional organizations where there has been talk about Israel, but then anytime that there is even a little bit of pushback from the SWANA therapist to be like, hey, you know, children are, are being murdered in Gaza. The uh, responses of everyone are generally very hostile. You are labeled as a kind of a troublemaker to express your anger is to officially or unofficially be labeled as a terrorist, as I'm sure we're kind of all familiar, mm -hmm. um, unfortunately. And uh, so there's a lot of tone policing, of course, kind of similar to interviews on the news. Um, you are expected first to condemn Hamas before even mentioning anything else about the situation. You're expected as well to be an expert on the past 75 years, if not the entire, the entire history of the land. Of course, Zionists are not expected to have that same level of knowledge because that is not, it's not possible to have that level of knowledge and still support Zionism, in my opinion. Uh, so people feel threatened in their workplaces that if they speak out, they're going to lose their job. Student therapists, trainee therapists are really concerned that future opportunities will be closed to them for speaking out. People who are here on a student visa are very worried about speaking out. Um, they're still often doing it, but there's a lot of fear. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of, unfortunately, this is not solely relegated to old school therapists who've been in the field for a longer period of time, but it is certainly more common amongst that demographic. They have been taught not to self-disclose at all. Very Freudian turn it back on the client. So you ask what the therapist's favorite color is and they're like, why is that important to you? And that feels very dehumanizing. That in my opinion is a very colonial uh, approach to therapy where you're really playing into this power dynamic of expert and patient. I, you know, I am someone of the belief that the client is their own expert. No one can know them better than themselves. I'm not a fan of that. I think we heal in community and by simply being in that space together, we are in community together. 
So I may not disclose every detail of my life, but I am also a human in the room and my biases and my preferences are informing the space just as much as the clients, whether I want them to be or not. And I think this goes into how to find a good therapist or red flags um, about a therapist. If your therapist will not self-disclose at all, that is probably a red flag because the therapist needs to be the right fit for you and you need to be the right fit for the therapist. These older school therapists and others are often unwilling to disclose their political opinions. I'm of the belief that if you have nothing to hide, you're not going to hide it. So if you know that your Zionism is going to be a problem for your client, you're probably not going to share it. Um, and try to turn it back on the client. Why does that matter to you? There's also a lot of education um, that SWANA clients right now are being asked to provide. Oh, you know, why is it you're, you know, Jordanian? Why are you impacted by what's happening in Palestine? Um, why are you grieving? Why are you unable to take care of yourself? And I think it, it's unfortunately a newer belief that therapy is political. Mm-hmm. Um, as a social worker, I'm, I think, much more inclined to believe that the therapy is political than say a run-of-the-mill psychologist um, just because the field that i'm in has for better or worse political roots i mean these days it's hard not to politicize Mm -hmm. everything according absolutely and yeah Mm -hmm. it's and i feel like asking the the client to educate the therapist on things it falls into an almost unfortunate trap because you're Mm-hmm. As a client, sometimes unaware of your own power, and part of the, probably the part of the reason you're seeing a therapist is because you need that expert help. You need that second voice mm-hmm. in your life, and you know, having to go up and tell a therapist, "Hey, here's how you're you're doing your job," just feels like it feels almost it's hostile. Just, it's also oh, just the headspace to receive therapy. Like the the brain you use to explain things is not the same brain you use to receive therapy and work through your own problems. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And why would you pay money to educate someone? Therapy is expensive. We do not live in uh, a society where healthcare is free. So um, to pay someone to educate uh, or to pay to educate someone about your own issues, not not great. That's also a red flag. Um, Your therapist should be educating themselves outside of office hours. I have done that for many clients, not specifically about Palestine, but, uh, you know, cult survivorship or any, you know, narcissistic parents, uh, you know, there are many, many topics that would come up where you're like, "Hmm, I need a little either continued education, or I didn't learn about that in school, um, or in any of my, uh, internships or training. So let me, let me read some books. Let me go to, uh, webinar a training of some kind palestine is no different you should be educating yourself um i also absolutely stand with black feminists in the belief that the personal is political especially when you are in a marginalized body your body is politicized inherently and so even if you would like to separate it you cannot it is very much um kind of the white neutral body coming into play there's a lot of racism of course my cat has decided to use the litter box i'm so sorry <laughs> oh no no it's not loud or anything <laughs> okay. no can't even hear it we love cats here um <laughs> adam 
Arab cat culture is so yeah. strong. It is, yeah. Uh, I'm currently looking at two of mine right now. So I have three. Oh, <laughs> two, two, two have joined our podcast. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what you said about like the disclosing, that's so important. Um, like I love when my therapist will kind of give me feedback in the form of, okay, well, my family you know, if I, if I talk about family stuff and then she's, she gives me like little tidbits about her own family. That's that kind of reciprocation that, that just feels like, yeah, you, you have a little more equal ground and like, it's, it's like a, a real conversation. Um, Absolutely. I've always course, valued that in my yeah. own therapy. And I think yeah. that, um, that human connection is really important. And also there are many clients, um, you know, such as autistic clients who really benefit from being given an example of how to apply something. So I was struggling to wash my hair because as someone with curly hair, it is just a process. And, you know, I'm also chronically ill and disabled, so it just takes a lot of energy. So, you know, for probably a week and a half this month, I was like not taking the best care of myself, you know, and that was manifesting largely in my hair. And I told my partner and she was like, oh, well, I want to do this grief ritual that involves an herbal bath. Why don't you take a shower after that since um, like there will, and, and wash your hair since like the, sh the bath shower will already be in use. Um, and that made it a lot easier for me because it gave a purpose to the action um, that was related to Palestine, related to Gaza. And then that has been a tip that I've been able to pass on to a lot of people. And I'm doing it through an example because saying, oh, why don't you take, you know, like an herbal bath that honors the Palestinians is like kind of vague. So using an example with your own life shows that it can be used successfully by someone and gives more detail than on how to do it. You don't always have to do that, but um, it does bring like a human point of connection. Yes, I am not perfect. I'm not like this untouchable and human robotic expert. I'm here with you in this very human moment of struggling. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, wow, therapists can also feel grief. They're people too. Shockingly. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking, um, and speaking of a lot of us are, are kind of burning out um, or struggling to balance our own mental health um, with our clients, because obviously it is a lot to hold our own grief in this moment, much less the grief of many other people. Um, so when you have a lot of empathy as well, um, shutting that empathy off at some points can be very hard, especially when you want to stay soft and sensitive to what is happening in, in Gaza. Exactly. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, your post was the one that went viral. Like that was mm -hmm. on, so important. What? Uh, could you tell us about the post that went viral, just so we have some an example oh, yeah. in context? Start with that. Oh, I, yes. Yeah, I just want to. I just wanted to say it must have been awesome and also super overwhelming. <laughs> but yeah. 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 You know, uh, it's been kind of a challenge for me. Um, so this is the first post of mine to ever kind of take off like that. Um, and I, my first reaction was, oh shit, I don't want to be a war profiteer. Um, so 
that is still definitely kind of percolating in the back of my mind, probably as a result of some imposter syndrome. But this group that the post that I went semi-viral for is a peer support space for queer Palestinian and Swana people. Um, so queer and trans adults who are feeling a lot of grief um, around and anger around um, Gaza and you know the Palestinian genocide in general. At this moment, I think it has around 2000 likes. Um, it's been, I don't think I've had a day in the past week or however long it's been where there have been dozens of story shares. I don't, I have a client who is not Swana, who is in a different state. Um, and we have, we're not connected on Instagram. We have no mutual connections. They saw that post and told me about it. I was like, how? You don't follow my practice. You don't follow, like, I don't understand, but regardless. Um, so it is a, it's a free group, which is, I think, part of the reach. I was expecting about eight people to engage with it. Um, whereas over 90 people at this point have signed up. So I initially was marketing this as a support group. And this is kind of insider lingo jargon. There's a difference between a peer support group or a peer support space versus a support group um, in kind of a medical and legal definition. So I was initially marketing it as a support group in which basically it's designed to be smaller a 15 would be a huge group. I have, you know, I was trained to run groups. I know how to do it. I have done it. I haven't done it for a couple of years because honestly, I do not love virtual groups. Um, it, as a facilitator, um, I find them much more difficult to coordinate and to invest myself in um, than a an in-person group. However, you know, I am chronically ill, I'm immunosuppressed. Um, so that is out of the picture for me as a, um, right now as a result of COVID um, mm -hmm. and also RSV. So I was not expecting the response that I got. And to take legal responsibility over 90 people is out of the question. Um, I cannot be responsible for everyone's mental health in a group that big. Um, so I have switched it to a peer support space in which there really is very, very little um, power dynamic at all. I'm kind of there as a facilitator, more or less in name only. So like I have the experience to resolve conflicts that come up um, or rather to help people resolve those conflicts. And I have the ability to hold the space uh, and like create this Zoom room um, for everyone every week. But um, beyond that, I'm I'm more or less just calling on people because everyone is very polite. I've been like, you don't need to raise your hand. You can just speak. No, everyone's very polite. They wait until they're called on. So that is my role as the facilitator, just to call on people basically, which uh, I, I'm also speaking to uh, I've been coordinating with Dr. Hayat Nadar to help me co-facilitate this group because it is so big. So that would allow us to do more breakout rooms um, and just, again, have someone, there isn't a lot that goes into this facilitation beyond starting the Zoom and potentially stepping in if there is conflict. But 
it has been already, there's only been one meeting and the creation of a group chat, and it's already been such a positive space. It is wonderful to see the connections build. There is a lot of particular grief to um, being queer and Arab right now and in general, um, because many of us feel that there is a, a give and take where you have to at some point choose between culture and identity um, as a queer person and as a, an out of person. It's hard for those to exist in conjunction, although many of us in this particular moment are feeling called to be loud about our, our queer out together. It is as a result of Western colonization and it unfortunate influence in the Middle East. It is our cultures have become very queer phobic as a as a rule, not not to say that every family is. This is something that I've experienced myself, that it, it's hard to exist in conjunction with your cultural community and your career community um, and to be fully accepted in both. Within my own Chaldean community, I see that it is becoming more accepted to be a homonormative cis gay man, mm -hmm. but God forbid you are trans or that you are a woman who does not want to spend her life in service to a man. You know, those things are are changing slowly. It will take a long time. But just, I feel like mm -hmm. when you are that person who kind of clashes with the culture, you also fall into the same sort of, um, I guess, trap where you're expected to be an expert on all things trans or all things queer, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. feels Absolutely. like what we were discussing further, like earlier with uh with discussing Palestine with uh, mm -hmm. where you're just like, oh, well, didn't you know, you don't know anything about the six days war? I mean, who are you to speak? You don't know mm -hmm. anything about pan-Arabism? I mean, do you know anything at all? I mean, mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I, yeah, it's, it is exhausting because you, because when you do speak up like that, you do feel some of the, I, at least I feel some of the responsibility to talk to people. Like I have mm -hmm. a friend who, made the obligatory I stand with Israel post and I and Alia knows who this is and I now have to have the, a very uncomfortable talk with them about that one mm -hmm. and I I'm like I have to do my reading I have to sites I have to be ready with sources I'm sure she'll take you've got to have a whole bibliography for that conversation uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you some must yeah, gotta condemn Hamas. Yeah, don't don't forget to condemn it, whatever that even means. Like, but but do Nadia we really? and I were talking about Nadia. It's like Hamas doesn't even follow me on Instagram. How are they gonna know I condemn them? Yeah, yeah. Nadia and I were talking about what does it mean to condemn Hamas? Does it mean to like put in a, a post like I condemn Hamas? Like, what are people wanting? Like, I think of it's course, that. It's of that. course, we are not we're not okay with murder. Like. Just the fact that we are being like, it's like we have to preface every conversation with that. Like, of fucking course, we're not okay with murder. <laughs> but anyway, mm -hmm. the whole yeah. problem is murder. Yeah. I, I, I almost feel like prefacing every question with, including those completely unrated, with, I condemn Hamas, but could you provide an example of how we always have to condemn um, Hamas? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Oh, it's, I mean, it's comical. Um, you, you have to laugh so you don't cry. But yeah, absolutely. Those, 
you know, needing to come prepared with a bibliography for a, a conversation, having to condemn Hamas, it's, it's exhausting. Israel has really weaponized pinkwashing. So they don't even have legalized gay marriage. They're not doing anything. In fact, they are a very, there's a lot of rampant racism. If you are not a white queer um, Jew in the, the occupier state of Israel, they are not great to you, um, to put it mildly. So, and also I think in the case of uh, similar to anti-Zionist Jews, we don't want this done in our name as queer people. This isn't, we're not asking for this. We do not want this. Overwhelmingly queer people in the Arab world who are, um, you know, still living in their ancestral lands are, they're overwhelmingly in support of Palestine, of a free Palestine. Israel is not a safe haven for queer people um, in the region. It's it's not. So we would rather be in our own cultures pushing uh, to kind of re-indigenize our beliefs around queerness than to live in this colonizer state. You know, I think the discomfort that is shared between queer Arabs and anti-Zionist Jews is very similar. Like, not in our name. Mm -mm, we do, this is, don't put this on us. Don't scapegoat this for us. Um, and so it's, um, it's very uncomfortable. It's a lot of cognitive dissonance that can happen. Yeah, the, um, here in New York, a couple of days ago, there was a Queers for Palestinian Liberation. Mm -hmm. And then they were using mm -hmm. the not in our name phrase. And I think there was a little bit of criticism, like, oh, you're taking this from um, anti-Zionist Jewish organizing. Uh, but, and I mean, I don't really have an opinion on what slogans, mm -hmm. I don't know, that's semantic. Uh, but I, I, the the response was like, yeah, and I, I think it builds on it because it's it's both about the same thing. It's about weaponizing people's identities non-consensually as if they're in support mm -hmm. of this colonial project. And it's about mm -hmm. people saying no to that. Like it's it is it it really is connected. Yeah. You know, I I also don't know enough about the history of that particular phrase to kind of speak to who can use it. That that's not for me to say. Yeah. Um and also not obviously to minimize the suffering of Jews in the Holocaust, but queer people were also uh, genocided during the Holocaust. So certainly not in our name is, if not that particular phrase, then the essence of yeah, it. Yeah, the idea is of, related. Of, yeah, yeah. Is very, it's very related, even though it's, it's a uh, kind of state of being versus an ethnicity. Yeah. Uh, I want to go back to what you said about um, the feelings of going viral when everything is terrible. Yeah. Um, I think we've experienced that a little bit with the podcast or like I've experienced it with like personal writing, like mm -hmm. things going viral around like BLM and Arab anti-blackness or mm -hmm. around like the explosion in Lebanon. And it's like, well, here are, here's all the clicks we've wanted, but I don't give a fuck because everything sucks. Um, mm -hmm. And then you have this weird association between success as a person focused mm -hmm. on um, marginalized communities and 
the suffering of those communities, which is a mm-hmm. is a really mm-hmm. fucking weird association to have. And um, honestly, yeah. is is one of the things that's uh, kept me from tying any of this work to something professional for me because I'm like, oh, then then my career is based on like my people dying that's weird you know i don't know i don't really have a point here it's just it's just a really weird experience absolutely i actually um i've been working for a few years on a collection of i guess like autobiographical political poetry um Mm -hmm. about my experiences as a as an iraqi person in the u.s my my mom's experiences i had started writing this in 27 early 2017 um uh so obviously there's a lot going on then um with trump's election and the travel bans um etc etc i would love to publish it soon it's almost done um and yeah like as i said before I have this voice in my brain that's like, don't be a war profiteer. So at what point is my quote unquote success coming at the expense of my community? Is it coming at the expense of my community? If I'm writing about genocide, even though it's not particularly about the Palestinian genocide, is it relevant? Um, Is it important to have out there anyway? Should I just be doing what I would be doing regardless. I don't think there is a right or wrong answer in particular. Um, I think we we all kind of know that war profiteering, it takes some intentionality. You know, if you are picking up new sponsors, especially not kind of checking if they're on the BDS list or uh, suddenly, you know, making a lot of money uh, around this human suffering, you know, then it becomes a bit questionable, but it just your own creation for yourself, um, for your community, I don't think is necessarily, you know, problematic, but it certainly is very weird to have to navigate those questions within yourself. Yeah. And I mean, to be clear, like nothing we're creating is causing that suffering. It's not a relationship, but it's just weird. It's, it's, the correlation mm-hmm. feels weird mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. The correlation between uh, clicks and, and you know, this kind of social media success with genocide, it's very odd. Yet it's so vital for people to, to find these spaces and find these like people on social media on the same page as them. So it's like... Mm-hmm so important and also yeah weird like a a weird Mm -hmm. like absolutely absolutely i think right now it's coming out of community building but um yeah yeah mm -hmm. um you spoke to that when we were talking through email i think you were talking about how like community is just what we all need it's not Mm -hmm. you know without without that power dynamic and um absolutely Yeah. yeah i think it's so important um I don't think we can fully heal in isolation. We, we are social creatures. We are meant to be in community. And so even if that community is just one other person, it is so healing to be known 
-hmm. and to not have to explain yourself, to not have to educate um, about the things that you're going through. And since we all sadly cannot be your clients because you're one person, <laughs> do you have like, do you have any resource, other resources you want to just kind of mention out Absolutely. there for people? There are a number of, um, of people in our community doing amazing work at collecting resources for Swana people, generally for Swana people in diaspora, for queer Swana people, um, uh, English language resources. Um, I'm in the process of looking for Arabic and Farsi resources um, for people on Turtle Island um, who are struggling. And um, I provided you some, like a, a, just a few links. Um, so I think the most helpful uh, or the mo not the most helpful, but the most comprehensive one is probably an Instagram page that's collecting um, any resource that they come across or that they're tagged in. Pal MH Wellness, I believe. So it is Palestinian related mental health. That is, you know, those are resources that are Turtle Island. Those are UK resources. Those are resources in the Middle East. That is um, a very comprehensive place to look. Then there are other, a, a couple other links to some uh, collaborative Google Docs that um, I believe you're going to share um, in the show notes. Okay. Um, and that will be like, those are also great resources. They're continuing to be updated. So there are people doing uh, a lot of work to collect these resources into one or two places, which is very helpful. Yeah, that's so, that's awesome. Thank you. Um, and thank you just for, I mean, it took me a year and a half to find a therapist. Mm -hmm. So I, I just like, I just really appreciate you, you know, doing the work you're doing. It's, it's, it's rare to find someone who really gets all of this, you know? So, yeah, yeah. it's, um, it's my honor. I think it is so important to continue to educate ourselves in this field. Um, and, and kind of to the point of it, it can be hard to find a, a therapist who's a good fit. I think, you know, a couple of tips that I want to give people are that, you know, most therapists will offer a free 15 minute consultation to, to evaluate fit um, before committing. Use those, come with questions. Um, this is not just them asking you questions to get to know you, you should be getting to know the therapist as well. See if they're a good fit, see if they'll self-disclose. Will they tell you their political opinions? Because that is important. If they are unwilling to disclose some of their political stances, such as uh, their thoughts on Palestine um, or how much knowledge they have on Palestine. Okay, if they're not actively Zionist, but they also don't know very much, are they willing to educate themselves outside of your office hours? Are they willing to put in that work? Those are all really important questions. I think the question that made me think the most was from a potential client um, who I'm actually working with, who asked me how, you know, as a therapist who claims to, you know, use all of these liberationist um, practices, how do I reconcile the social work history of, I guess, like 
carry harmful white feminism? How do I, you know, hold all of the harm that social work has done while also claiming liberation? That made me think so deeply. It took me off guard. I loved it. Um, I can imagine that not everyone would love to be challenged in that way, but I think it's really important that we put our egos aside to be able to answer those questions. Really be willing to challenge the potential therapists. Um, there's also a really, really wonderful database uh, or rather a directory for mental health providers called Inclusive Therapists. Um, so it's free for clients to use. Unlike a directory such as Psychology Today, they have to approve you um, to be listed in that directory. You have to kind of write these mini essays about liberationist principles, um, social justice, your thoughts on health at every size, your thoughts on and fat liberation in general, your thoughts on an experience with uh, anti-black racism with queer and trans folks. It, so you have to be pre-vetted by these incredible people. Um, it is founded, I believe, by Melody Lee, um, who's amazing. And um, so if you are looking for someone who has a specific identity or has or is culturally versed in a specific identity, that is a really, really wonderful place to look. Um, I think the standard there is just automatically higher than say psychology today. However, because it's more work to be listed there, it is, and it, uh, it's not free for providers the way that psychology today is, or no, psychology today is not free, Never mind. but it's um, because it's not as well known, like the pool of, providers is smaller. Um, so it's a great starting point, but don't feel that those are the only providers who do those kinds of practices. So that is, I think, kind of my my quick little, feel free to challenge, ask questions. Don't be, try not to be too put out by needing to go through a couple, like a few different um, options. Thank you. This, yeah, it's all really helpful. Um, so yeah, where can people follow you? Um, speaking of social media. Mm -hmm. um, so my Instagram is Finley, um, F-I-N-L-A-Y period S-W. My practices Instagram is at practical magic therapy. Uh, my practice, uh, the group practice that I'm in, the our name is Practical Magic Healing. So you can find us at practicalmagichealing.org. You know, I'm again, so honored to be in this space with you. And it is just my pleasure to give whatever resources I can to our community at this time. Awesome. Well, you can follow, you all can follow us on Instagram X. <laughs> I hate saying that. We don't yeah, really. Yeah, I was actually like, what's the verb for egg? If we're not supposed to tweet, <laughs> yeah, like, what are is we called? Xing? Yeah. Um, yeah, and and Facebook at the Queer Arabs. You can email us at thequeerarabs at gmail.com and our website is thequeerarabs.com. And yeah, thanks, y'all. Mm -hmm.